1: Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: Two women, two incredible stories on today's Joan Hamburg Show. Julia Hart, who grew up orthodox, is now the chief creative officer of one of the world's largest talent media agencies and the one and only A brilliant actress and writer, Juliana Margulies, with a brand new memoir. Both my guests, right now, today, on The Joan Hamburg Show.
1: The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats.
2: People often ask me for restaurant advice. Where should they go? Do I know any great places, any unusual? Well, I told you about a terrific experience we had at a very popular expensive Greek restaurant called Avra on 60th Street and that a lot of people didn't realize they have a wonderful three-course lunch at a bargain rate and they have a wonderful outside really pretty we sat there one day we had a three o'clock lunch they serve until four and it was a pleasure in fact none of us ended up having dinner that night. We said, this is great, late lunch. So I found another place like that that you're gonna love, Philippe, Philippe Chow. Now, you know the name Chow. It's famous in the world of Asian food. But Philippe, the restaurant on 33 East 60th Street, run by Philippe Chow, has a price-fick lunch, $36.50, inside or outside. Their website is philippechow.com, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-P-E-C-H-O-W. And this is a really good deal. You've got a first course where you can have a soup, or a chicken satay on a skewer or lettuce wraps, our favorite, it's old minced chicken with zucchini and bamboo shoots and Huzan sauce, chicken lettuce wraps or vegetable wraps or seaweed, crispy seaweed with walnuts, you pick. And then you have your main second course, which is a Beijing chicken, Crispy beef, uh, velvet chicken, and seared bronzino. Just delicious. Third course. And they say you can even take that to go if you're too full. Red velvet cake, flowerless chocolate cake, sorbet or ice cream. And I'll tell you what we do sometimes. The price fixed is so huge. If we're two, we order one price fixed and then do something. Fabulous on the menu, maybe a, um, a sautéed shrimp or a lobster or something like that. And that's a huge lunch, but you can have the price-fixed lunch, $36.50. Really delicious, an excellent environment, very lively, very chic crowd, and top-of-the-line Chinese food. This is serious cooking. And there it is in a very easy neighborhood to get to, 33 60th Street. So add this to your list. We sit outside. We're still, we, you know, for two minutes, we thought we could go inside. But now COVID is spreading like crazy, the new strain. So here we are again, back outside. Check it out, philippechow.com. Anyway, guys, hang in. We've got great stuff for you today so let's go on to the next we have a lot more coming here on
0: wabc i'm joan hamburg this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com.
1: The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg, entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: Julia Hart has become a very familiar name. She's CEO, Co-Owner, Chief Creative Officer of Elite World Group, which is a talent media agency, and I'm going to let Julia fill you in with all that. She was the creative director of the Italian luxury brand, La Perla, and she started her career a little later than a lot of young women with her shoe collection. And many of us watch Julia on the Netflix doc, My Unorthodox Life. Her book, Brazen, is being talked about everywhere. And she's really a fascinating woman. So you've come a long way from when you first introduced us uh, to your life, Julia. And now that your book is out, you've done all kinds of things how do you feel about you? Do you th- feel that you've really found you and you're in a good place now?
3: Uh, thank you, first of all, for such a lovely introduction. I- I'd like to come on this show every day. <laughs> good. Come on and uh, visit. That was very kind of you. Um, you know, I always consider myself a work in progress. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, I'm just getting started. I've just been working for the last nine years. So I've got big plans. And, you know, I have a mission in my head. And until I accomplish that mission, I'm not patting myself on the back or, you know, looking at what I've accomplished because I still have a very long road ahead to go.
2: But, you know, I I read your book and we've watched you. You've done a lot of media and your story, how you were 40, 42 years old. Everything changed in your life. You were really self-made. You did this by sheer will.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Very, yes. That's pretty much it. I had no education. I didn't know anyone. You know, I had no background. I didn't know anything about fashion or PR or marketing. And I think, in a way, my lack of understanding of how crazy what I was doing was helped me because, In my mind, I had just time traveled several hundred years and still survived that. So at that point I said, okay, well, if I can time travel, I can start a shoe brand. I can go for my dreams. And so I just did.
2: But uh, Julia, when you decided that you were going to go get another life, you still had a foot in each world. You have your children, you were still married and was your husband really aware that this was happening and he actually was unusual too because even though it was an arranged marriage it was from the same community he went to the wharton school that was almost unheard of in your community
3: well she's he's a balchuva meaning he grew up irreligious as well so he Uh went to wharton because he grew up not religious he became religious By the same group of people that made my parents religious by the Lubavitch, Uh, my parents were made religious by the Lubavitch in Austin, Texas. He was made religious by the Lubavitch at Wharton School of Business. So it's actually the same sect that, uh, you know, made my family more religious, made him more religious as well. So that's why he went to Wharton School. But I do agree with you that he's an extremely unusual person. And this is something many people don't know. Since the show has aired, he has left the community.
2: Were you shocked by that?
3: I was blown away. I could not believe it, to tell you the truth, because, I mean, you know, I left nine years ago and he stayed. And uh, although, you know, as I as you see from the show and it's even more so in real life, we're really good friends. He has been a tremendous support to me. I never blamed him for what happened, you know, in our marriage because he was as much a victim as I was. But now, you know, he left the community. Um, He married a woman who has a college degree, does not cover her hair. He is still religious, but he's completely modern orthodox. He's not fundamentalist at all. He's got televisions in his home and. He took off his black hat. And when uh, people gave him grief for coming on the show and supporting me, he defended me and said, this is my family. Even if we're not married, she is still a dear friend of mine, and I'm going to support her. Mm -hmm. So he truly is a very unusual and extraordinary man, and I am very grateful that that has been my experience because most people who leave my world lose their children. And right. Well that's I, yeah, yeah.
2: I was going to ask you I'm talking to Julia Hart star of the Netflix reality series My Unorthodox Life and a new book called Brazen. So with you leaving with your husband leaving the ultra orthodox more than that what happened to those children who were brought up from birth in this community? So
3: my daughter Batsheva my eldest um, she is currently going through a divorce, and she has a fantastic career. Um, she is an um, influencer on you know, Instagram and TikTok. Mm-hmm. She has done co-branding and designed for a bunch of brands. She just did a co-branding with a jewelry company. Uh, my daughter, Miriam, is about to graduate Stanford University. Wow. Um, yeah, she's in her last semester at Stanford. And, in fact, she is the youngest person in Stanford history to give a class because when she was a freshman, she gave a class in augmented reality. And this is a girl who didn't own a computer before she was 13 years old. So um, that's Miriam at Stanford. And uh, my son, Shlomo, just graduated Columbia and is applying to law school. Uh, And my youngest, Aaron, is... The only one still straddling both worlds, he is actually more religious than my husband.
2: Oh, and where um, does he live?
3: So we we um, co-parent, so he spends but, half the week here with me in my apartment and half the week with my ex-husband in Teaneck, New Jersey.
2: Okay, so basically everyone is functioning on a good level. And you know, no matter how many times we hear it and read it, And certainly I couldn't put Brazen down because even though I had seen the TV series and everything else, you have to really be part of it and read it to understand it. But explain again, when you took all your courage and left the community, which is frightening. It's like being thrown in a country with a new language. No, it's it's,
3: it's really- Right,
2: explain. So
3: have you ever seen, do you remember that movie, It's with Meg Ryan and uh, Hugh Jackman. He's like, um, I can't remember what it's called. He travels in time. He's from the 1700s. And he falls through this wormhole in time. And he ends up in the 21st century. And he's in Manhattan. And he's a 17th century man. That's what it felt like. Mm. Walking out of my world and that's how i i speak about it i speak about it as my world and this world because it was time traveling i lived in the 1800s i lived in a world where marriages were arranged where women were under their father's rule until they went under their husband's rule where they weren't allowed to live alone where they weren't allowed to study the very books by which their entire lives were governed where they were told that because they were women they were the stupider sex and that their purpose in life was to have children and be obedient to their husbands. So I really grew up in a time that is very similar to what, you know, you see now on Downton Abbey or Bridgerton and any of these minus the fancy dresses and the fabulous parties. So, you know, for me, it wasn't like going into a new country. It was going to Mars. It was time travel. And that, sense of disorientation was tremendous no one knew me I didn't know a single human being I'd never been to a bar I'd never been on a date I'd never been to a nightclub I'd never written in an invoice I knew nothing about the outside world I knew nothing about modern culture I had no I mean I was truly a time traveler and so that feeling of being from going from a very coherent piece of community to being so alone that not a single human being knows of your existence it's an extremely jarring shocking thing to do
2: and you did it but explain the shoe story because there you were in your community you love fashion you always drew and did things like that but as you said It was for you. It was a private thing. No one in the outside world knew. So tell the shoe story, because no matter how many times we hear it, it's still (laughs) hard to believe.
3: So basically, when I came out, you know, my dream had been to be a fashion designer for as long as I can remember dreaming, which basically for someone like me in the world I lived in was like, you know, dreaming of not having to breathe on a Wednesday. I mean, it was a ludicrous dream. But it's something that I couldn't get out of my head. I mean, I drew and designed my entire life in the community without any education, without any background. So when I come out, I want to be a fashion designer. And so I meet this guy completely, you know, by chance at a restaurant. And uh, he owned a fashion company at the time. He was contemplating purchasing a fashion company I tell him, oh, I want to design clothing and shoes, and lo and behold, he gives me that as an option. And now all of a sudden, I'm designing shoes for this brand, and then the deal falls through, and there's no brand anymore. And so now I'm left with all these beautiful shoe designs and no company to design it for. And so that's how Julia Hart Shoes was born. And I had all of these beautiful designs, beautiful shoes, But I had no idea how to manufacture them, how a shoe was made, where I knew that shoes are from Italy. That's all I knew. And so I literally flew myself down to Italy, sat in, uh, you know, in all of these uh, companies and factories until I literally taught myself how to make shoes. And then I realized that wasn't enough. I wanted to make shoes that eradicated the concept of suffering for beauty. It wasn't sufficient to simply make beautiful shoes. The whole idea of women suffering for beauty, to me, is as archaic as the world I come from. And so then I determined that my shoes would not only look beautiful, but would feel beautiful. And so I created and um, got a patent pending this, what we called cloud nine technology, which basically ergonomically redesigned the shoes so that the pressure points were evenly distributed across the entire foot, thereby alleviating the pain of the entire pressure of your body being on the ball of your foot. Um, and so, those shoes that we created and designed, which were made with the most luxurious materials, within a year were being sold in 17 countries. And within two years, with the co branding of La Perla, were being sold in over 127 points of sale.
2: But initially, so- Julia, Wait one minute, I'm talking to Julia Hart. Initially, where did the money come from? You had never really earned, you know, you had babysitting money, you had no money.
3: (laughs) Yes, so I did work uh, behind the scenes without anyone in my community knowing. I did sell life insurance. That was my freedom money. So while I was- Did you sell it
2: to the community or outside the community?
3: completely outside of the community no one Mm -hmm. in the community knew i was selling life insurance and of course i didn't know in anyone outside of the community so it was literally cold calling and you know word of mouth because i couldn't use any of the contacts and people i knew because i didn't want them to know i was selling life insurance Mm -hmm. not a single person in my community had any idea that that's something i was doing
2: So all this is going on and you mentioned La Perla, which was an incredible, is an incredible brand. So how did you get involved in that? You've got your shoes, which again is a whole new language, raising money, dealing with people, knowing markets here and abroad.
3: That's right. I mean, I was really so naive and so easily taken advantage of People spotted the talent that I had and my hard work ethic and thought, "Okay, we can ride on this woman's coattails. And so, you know, there were a lot of charlatans uh, who took advantage of me in the beginning of my story. And even today, you know, as we see, I'm still learning and realizing that I'm too trusting and that, you know, I do the work and then someone else tries to swoop on in and take the credit. I mean, this is something I think women face very constantly, even in this world. Um, and so La Perla happened because I wanted to get my shoes into Hong Kong. Um, I thought the Asian market was a very, very powerful market. And it, you know, um, it really is one that is perfectly situated for luxury and for uniqueness. And so I met this guy in Hong Kong to try and convince him to help me get my shoes into stores in Asia And he was, at the time, told me that he was sitting on the board of this lingerie brand called La Perla, and that La Perla was endeavoring to become a full fashion brand and had tried to be, you know, to sell shoes, but it wasn't successful. And so he thought that my shoes, because not only were they incredibly beautiful, but they were so comfortable, he thought that my shoes with lingerie would work very well. And so... I designed a collection for La Perla. I showed it to the creative director at the time and the merchandising team and the owner. They loved it. And in April of 2015, two years after I walked out the door, I had a co-branding Julia Hart Shoes with La Perla. And that transformed into, Julia, can you design handbags? Julia, can you design clothing? Julia, can you design lingerie? And so... Within one year, I became creative director of the entire brand.
2: Wow. And co-owner and former CEO of Elite, which is the World Group, and many other things. And at that point, you ended up marrying the guy who was the head of La Perla.
3: Correct, and now divorcing the guy who was the head of La Perla.
2: I mean, your life has, it's it's spinning. It's so fast. It's
3: constantly what? changing. And look, I'm still in the same place that I was back then, but in a very different sense, meaning back then, I had to fight for freedom alone. I had to fight for recognition alone. Today, what I've accomplished, the EWG, has been shown all over the world. There have been newspaper articles, television interviews, the entire My Orthodox Life is about the change that I've brought to the industry. So, you know, to be in the position where a man, again, is trying to denigrate me, take away everything that I've worked for um, is not new to me. But I think the difference here is that now I have people. I'm not a zero anymore. You know, I have a voice. And that voice will never be silenced. And, you know, uh, I will fight until the day that I'm vindicated like I have done since I've walked out that door. So it's not the first time I've been taken advantage of, and I'm sure it's not gonna be the last time. And I think many women have been in my situation, many women have been through divorces where, you know, the the spouse uh, is seen to be more powerful or you know, you know, although in this case of course Sylvia is no longer a billionaire by any stretch of the imagination, but that is the perception and I think in this country we worship that. So I think women, we all have to, you know, band together, support each other, and realize that we still have a long way to go for women to be taken as seriously as men, and for men uh, to, you know, not steal our uh, the work of our own hands. So I'm
2: talking to, to Julia this Hart. Is part
3: of my freedom journey. <laughs> okay,
2: well, and it's a long journey. So, work wise, what are you doing these days?
3: So, you know, I have um, my shapewear brand that is coming to stores near you in uh, the holiday season of this year. It's the first of its kind, it's the only non shaper looking shapewear. You, I mean, it's really an extraordinary product. We altered the way that color is put into material. So for the first time, shapewear isn't beige, white, or black. It's colorful. It's sexy. It's got designs on it and patterns. You'd never know it was shapewear. Um, And we were able to do that because we, the problem with shapewear is that when you stretch it, you get those nasty white lines. And that's Uh why it's always beige, white, and black. We literally fuse the color into the material. So it becomes like Elastigirl. No matter how hard you stretch it, you never see those lines. And so... We've created a shapewear that you could wear in, you could wear out, you could wear it under a jacket, you could wear it as a dress. Um, so that will be coming to uh, a whole bunch of stores. I think at Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's and Dillard's and a, a whole bunch of stores in, in uh, well, December sounds, of this year. It sounds great. So that's really exciting. And of course, I am embroiled in several lawsuits to because you know I was illegally fired from the company that mm. I have brought into a billion dollar valuation in three years. So, of course, I have not in any way, shape, or form given that up. Um, I'm very proud of what we at EWG accomplished in the last three years through the most difficult time period of COVID. And we have grown and and created incredible opportunities for our talent. So- And so I'm still fighting that battle as well as everything else. So
2: you've got a lot on your plate and during all this, because the transition initially was so fast and took on a life of its own. how is your head? I mean, how do you deal with this? People with little tiny changes are falling apart. COVID felt made people depressed and having all kinds of mental issues. So how did you hold Julia Hart together?
3: Um, You know, with my family and my friends, that's really the truth. This time, I'm not fighting for my freedom alone. And it's really been a tremendous source of, you know, strength and inspiration, not to mention all the people from the company who call me every day. Right, who are there for you. Who are there for me. So there's just so many people helping me and supporting me. Uh, against their own self-interest. Let's be honest, it's pretty dangerous to be my friend sometimes. So um, those people have kept me going. And, you know, again, I just tell myself, look, think about the suffragettes. They weren't just belittled or accused of wrongdoing uh, or their names dragged through the mud. Those women who demanded freedom and equality and asked for the right to vote, they were imprisoned. They were put into jail. People who ask for change and are always, you know, are always lightning rods of controversy. It's a lonely road I have chosen. I know that very well. So I've got to just stay strong, remind myself of my purpose and keep on going and just keep going. It's one foot in front of the other. Is it easy? No. Is it painful? Of course it is. But. It's part of my journey, and if I can't be strong enough to keep fighting, then how can I expect others to do so? So I just have to keep going, one foot in front of the other.
2: I wish you all the best, Julia Hart. The book Brazen is available wherever books are sold, and we'll catch up with you in a couple of months and find out what the latest adventure is. (laughs) Take care of yourself.
3: Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me on. Take okay, care of bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye. I'm Joan Hamburg. You're listening to WAVC.
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not
4: take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well,
0: that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't
2: have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: Well, a real treat for all of us today. The one and only Juliana Margulis is my guest. You know Juliana, great actress, an author, a memoir, which is really a big deal. And even though... Well, I thought that the best women characters in television belonged to Juliana. Carol Hathaway on ER and won a zillion awards for that. And of course, Alicia made everyone want to become a lawyer, even me. And I come from a family of lawyers, the good wife. We love that. But you know, Juliana, most of all, I loved reading about your life because I'm sure when you wrote it, you thought, is that my life? You know, it wasn't like a milk and cookies life.
4: No, it certainly wasn't. No. Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of the book came out of the of me trying to decompress from playing Alicia Florek for seven years and realizing that I had spent more time worried about her and not putting myself first. And when I started to sort of try and um, really dissect why I was I had gotten so sick when I when I wrapped the show, I I, I ended up getting the chicken pox.
2: Bad which for I don't adults. know. If,
4: it is brutal and I know why I don't own a gun. Uh, well, many, many reasons, <laughs> but that I definitely would have shot myself. But it was really painful and Um, I thought, how much stress have I been holding on to and powering through my life without paying attention? And maybe I need to start examining my own life um, and why I love playing characters so much so I can be in someone else's shoes other than my own. And, you know, with every life, you have to you have to look at your childhood and find out. Why you work the way you do as an adult, and how are you able to change that narrative for yourself as an adult when no one else has power but you? Um, so it was um, it was a deep dive, and uh, I, I was lucky to have a great editor, Pamela Cannon, who kept pushing me um, to dig deeper, which was painful, <laughs> but and, also and really so hard. Yeah, I'm it sure. was because ultimately. You know, the story is, it's, it's not a woe is me story. It's a uh, being able to look at your life and see the beauty from it and to be able to create the future you want um, from that childhood and to not have the toxicity of anger towards your parents, which I see so many of my friends still harbor and I find that especially when my father passed away suddenly in 2014, um, I was so grateful that we had worked through it all. That we, he died right. and we were we were good. Um, and I only felt love for him. And as mm. I will when my mother passes away eventually, um, I have moved on and forgiven, and we've worked it out. And I and I I called them to task on it. You know, I said I need an apology before I can. Move on. on. And I, I think it's really important to be able to go out in the world without that kind of toxicity, because when you carry it, you're bringing it out
2: into the world. Rather but, than- Juliana, when, when you talk to yeah, your father and it, you know, and explain to him, I think it was on the phone call, why he had to apologize to you that was a big deal and a brave thing because, in many ways, your father was your escape from a very complicated life with your mother, you and your siblings.
4: Right. So exactly. To, and also because I, that, I put him on such a pedestal, he was my hero, uh, and but I saw how. He was how the charming
2: world... and adorable, yeah. and he was a relief from a very complicated existence. It's, it, that's
4: such a great point, Joan, and, and to that point, I would say the mother gets blamed for everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was blaming well, my easier. mother for everything. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with my own child and reading these letters that I had written to my father as a child where I realized, wait a minute, he, he's half responsible for me. Why didn't he show up?
2: Mm-hmm. Why did he let this happen?
4: um, Why did he let this happen? I didn't want to see him in that light because he was my savior in many ways. But as an adult, I had to sort of confront him with that, which was, I was so scared. And I'm telling you, if I wasn't raging with hormones from being pregnant, Mm. I probably wouldn't have had the guts to do it. Um, Because he hated confrontation. He was a very peaceful man. And... And I, I saw how the world looked at him um, from inside my family to outside my family. He was everybody's go-to guy. He was calm. He was smart and wise and philosophical. And,
2: and successful.
3: Um,
4: and successful and sophisticated and, you know, everything you would want. And yet, he allowed my mother uh, to drag me and my sisters around the world at her whim in not secure situations, in incredibly difficult circumstances. And he saw me twice a year as a child.
2: What father know, allowed was ha- that? I know. It's hard to believe because reading him, I wanted him in my family of until <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, I came of age during those early <laughs> advertising years. So the jobs that your father had were like dreams. If only someone like Mary Wells would send us to England or us to someplace. (laughs) But, you know, we didn't have the mothers that even though they were divorced, who said, well, he's living there. Why should I live here on the burbs? I'm out of here. Come on, girls, we're going. (laughs) So you girls were unreal. Now, I was curious about your sisters after you did the book. What was? Forget your mother and father. We'll get there. But what was? What was that reaction?
4: You know, um, it was good. It was good. Um, my my eldest sister um, Alexandra um, thanked me. You know, she said, "I I am so grateful you've written this down." I think I think to be able to see it in writing. Um, is very different than remembering it yourself, of right? Of course. And, yeah. and, of course, during the journey of writing, I mean, I, I purposefully, listen, writing a memoir is tricky because everyone has their own experiences within the family. So I can only write from what I know. Mm-hmm. And because I was the youngest, my experience was different than my sister's, which is why I only wrote from my point of view Except the monkey story in
2: Paris when my mother left oh, the I monkey know. in our room. Tell, yeah, tell that, tell that story. The, you know, well, um, Juliana's mother always had to have a man in her life. And most of these men were complicated and came with a lot of baggage, including one had a monkey. So, one,
4: one had a monkey and my mother, we were living in Paris and my mother, brought home a man she had met um, at a club and he happened to have a pet monkey that sort of, I guess, lived on his shoulder is what I'm assuming. I was three and um, the one sister was six and a half and the other was nine. And we all shared a room and my mother came home with this gentleman and, and opened our door. My mother, my mother was not, Uh, uh, familiar with animals on any level, animals, especially monkeys, especially monkeys. So I think she just didn't really wasn't thinking, but she opened our door. We were sound asleep and she put the monkey in our room and went off to her room with this man,
2: the boyfriend, right? And I, the new man,
4: I guess the new guy. Um, And uh, I woke up and I distinctly remember this. I mean, you know, you remember trauma, you remember drama, you don't remember the everyday normalcy of life. You remember the, which is why it was so easy to write this book because there weren't a it lot of came normal out, days in yeah. my <laughs> life. <Yeah.
3: laughs> no, from um,
4: Paris
2: to New Hampshire, but we'll get there in a little bit. Yeah. So go yeah. ahead.
4: So, so I woke up with this, with these um, hands on my face and I opened my eyes and I saw this monkey staring at me and I started screaming and the monkey started screaming. And then the monkey <laughs> flew up to the bunk bed to my, my middle sister, Rachel, she started screaming. They flew down to Alexandra's bed, and there was a flying monkey, like just screaming in <laughs> our room. And we're all screaming. And my mother comes in and puts on the light and says, "What is all the ruckus?" And we're like, "Mom, there's a monkey in our room." And she said, "Oh, oh. girls, that's just ridiculous. Don't be so silly. It's just a monkey." And she turns the light off and shuts the door.
2: And God, that's oh, what I remember.
4: Mother. And and when I was writing that story, I. I called both of my sisters and I said, am I crazy?
2: Or did this happen? This is
4: what I remember. And then they each gave me their own version of that story. And so in the book, I, you know, I'm trying to be as truthful and honest as possible. So I said, how can three girls all remember the same story in a different variation? But yet my mother says that never happened. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but but the three, I know, because in her world, it didn't happen. It was just something he came with, like a new shirt. Exactly, exactly. What's the big deal? No big deal. So, but yes, you know, so there
4: were a lot of experiences like that.
2: <laughs> you, you had a lot. And who knew what country you were going to be in from one moment to the next? But the truth is, you're, to me, a very unusual actress in that, You are so much your character, so inside your character that I remember when it was almost the end of The Good Wife, I thought, how is Juliana going to become Juliana again? It was so intense. You're inhabiting Alicia or inhabiting Uh Carol. And that's actually the worst parts of your growing up gave you a gift in a way of being able to oh, she- inhabit these women and yeah, make she- them she- strong. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. And th-
3: oh,
4: Thank you so much for saying that because um, I think, I think one of the things, one of the reasons I fell in love with acting and I didn't know it until I was on stage and I write about this in the book. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't think it was an important enough job. I guess I thought I really wanted to make a, I wanted to make a, a an imprint in the world of women in 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 the way my grandmother did. Um, you know uh, she was uh, one of the first yeah, one of the first female uh lawyers she started the 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 women's bar um association in the bronx she She was a real uh trailblazer, and I didn't realize it until I got older how important her role in the world was, um especially to me. And um, I thought that I wanted to do that, but I, I didn't have that kind of a brain. I just, it, it, it the, the minutiae of being a lawyer and the, the reading of all of those documents was boring to me. Um, and when I got to college and was in my first play, I, I remember feeling so at home on stage. And home is what I had been searching for my whole life. Right. A, 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 a secure home. So when I put on, you know, I mean, the first role, I was in a David Ray play called In the Boom Boom Room, and I was a go-go dancer. It was a nothing part. Um, but to me, it was an everything part because the second I put those go-go boots on and got in my became, little, you know, I, I, I felt at home because I was in someone else's shoes. I could inhabit that character fully and feel at home. And that's when I realized, oh, this is what I'm meant to do, because I'm so much more comfortable in someone else's shoes than I am my own.
2: And, and it you took know me what? A, a, long a long time to get comfortable t- in my own shoes. Sorry, go ahead. Right. But no, but I was going to say that you seem so well adjusted and it's hard to imagine that growing up really without a root which was part of the story a very eccentric Mm -hmm. mother but you always in your memoir point out you never doubted her love it was just the instability of being a child and not knowing where your pillow was going to be and luckily there were three of you are your sisters as good in their minds and heads as you are? Yeah.
4: Oh, we're all, you know, what always amazes me about DNA is that you you come from, and I see it with my nieces and, and my son, but you cut you know, my sisters and I are so, my eldest sister and I are much more alike. And I also think that can be um, a middle child syndrome, you know, where you're stuck in the middle. Yeah. I often right. hear middle children complain about, being stuck in the middle and, and my, my middle sister um, was stuck in between two, even though me and Alexandra are very different. Uh, my eldest sister was a ballerina, which the discipline you need to be a ballerina is insane. I mean, uh, she, which is, which is also quite um, a remarkable thing that my mother who had studied ballet since the age of seven Um, and was with the American Ballet Theatre Company um, until she met my father, basically. It is amazing that someone from such a disciplinary background ended up such a free, wild, crazy, unorganized spirit, you know. But back to the sibling, you know, it it, it just always amazes me that you can come from the same DNA and be completely different. We're all so different in our own ways, and we interpreted things differently, and I think— You know, I write about the order you're born in and how I really do think that affects who you who you become in the world, because I was so protected by them, by both of them. And um, they they didn't get along as well as I got along with both of them. And I think it's because they were much closer in age. And so they were both vying for my attention. Um, Right, and they
2: were assuming the role in the family. Your big sister was, in a way, the surrogate mother and so disapproving of your mother, which the others felt was a little complicated to do that. But the big one went right after her.
4: She did. I
2: mean, to the point where, and
4: and I I do have a passage in the book. I asked for her permission, you know, um, if I could write it. But my eldest sister used to pick up the phone when she was nine, 10, 11 years old. And when it was um, one of my mother's boyfriends, she would say, my mother doesn't love you anymore and hang up. <laughs> and I well, understand can- why she did that. She needed, she was the mama bear. She was trying to uh-huh. bring normalcy into the household. Uh-huh. I was the one who was sitting on mom's lap every night after dinner, you know, getting kisses and hugs.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, Cause she was a sunshine so- girl. Right, and and that too is a moniker that can be crippling. a very hard thing to grow up with because when you become an adult, you don't want to stir the mud or or say anything that will make anyone uncomfortable. You're always trying to make everyone happy, but in the meantime, you're not doing the things you want to do, which is why I right. wrote about that long relationship I had because ultimately when I finally got out of it, I realized I was really – following what i knew with a mother who Mm -hmm. i was always stepping on eggshells not knowing if it was Mm -hmm. going to be a good day or a bad day or what
2: country we were living in it was easier for me
4: yet to manage that
2: than to say no this doesn't feel good and to please so here you are now you finished the memoir which is like 100 years on a shrink's couch even better (laughs) and you did that you've got your child you have homes. Are you at home now? Have you found am, that comfort place? I really
4: have. I mean, I'm so grateful and I feel so fortunate that I, I stuck with my path, which was uh, always I had a plan for myself after college. I always had a plan, um, which was I'm going to be able to support myself. I'm going to be able to do the work I love. And if I can't do the work I love, I'll find something else I love. If I couldn't afford it, if I couldn't make a living at it. And I forged ahead and, you know, I waited. I I waited. I watched diligently um, sort of how my parents' marriage uh, well, I mean I was too young apart. by the they, they got yeah. divorced when I was one, but I, I, I watched diligently my, you know, all the relationships that my mother went through. Um, my father had been married three times. I said, that is not for me. I don't want that. And I waited. And I was really gonna be okay with not ever getting married. I was fine with that. The day I met my husband, I was in the best place I had ever been in in my own life. And Working they do friends. say that it,
2: Sorry. I said you were working. You had friends. You had a life.
4: Yes. I had a life. I had my own money in the bank. I had a career that I just loved. I was doing theater and working on the Sopranos. I mean, life for me, I was back in New York City and life for me could not have been better. And then I met my husband and I came to him as a whole person, not as a half person looking for someone to fill up the other half. I was already full. So he was just an adage to it. You know, he and I and what I what I respected so much, because my husband is six years younger than I am, was That's smart. I tell you, I was so impressed with how smart he was because I had dated a, a few men and my success at that point, you know, this is after you ER and um uh. It threatened them. It threatened men who were a bit older than me and um possibly not as successful or maybe just as successful or it threatened them. So I never felt that we were on equal ground. But when I met my husband, my success was his success. Just as his right. success and, is my success.
2: And he wasn't in your business, which is a plus.
4: It's a huge plus. I you know, there's only a handful of actors I think who are married to one another, you know, it was Paul Newman and, and Joanne Woodward, right. They right. did it great. And Kevin Bacon and, and, and Keira Sedgwick, who are friends of ours. And I always say, you're the only shining example
2: of how this works. Yeah. But marrying a lawyer I, was yeah. better.
4: It was. And, and also it really helped me with the good life because in the beginning, I, I it's not a language I understand, you know, but, um, all the legalese dialogue that you'd have to say. And I, I, I had my dictionary right there and in, in bed next to me where I, when I was learning my script, I could say, wait, what am I saying here? What am I actually saying? And, and I, you know, I had no idea at the time when I met him that I'd be doing the good wife a year and a half later, but um, it certainly are. paid off.
2: <laughs> I'm yeah. talking to Juliana Margulis, sunshine girl and unexpected life. Her book is now available in paperback. So you're at a great place. And if you could wave the magic wand and anything, you just have a buffet of choices of what you want to do next go round. Have you given a lot of thought to it or you're still nesting? I
4: have. No, I, I have. I I feel so fortunate to be in a place. I feel like my next let's just call it my next chapter in my life. Um, Uh, At least in terms of work, I have to, I'm, I'm being extremely picky um, because I know what goes, I, I throw myself into my work um, happily, but if I don't really believe in it and I don't really love it, I just don't want to spend the time away from my family. So, my next go-round, um, I'm going to have more of an upper hand in it. We, I have a producing partner now, and um, it's nothing I can talk about, but hopefully in a few weeks um, we'll be able to tell you about it. But I'm I'm trying to find a character that is so opposite uh, Carol Hathaway yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, Alicia Florek because I, I've been lucky enough to have such great writing, so to me what I've been – what the most important thing, and every every actor will tell you, if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. So it's such a collaborative effort, and I I have found the most incredible writer, um, and we're working on something. So I'll I'll let you know when that time comes. Okay, but I we're I excited. Do, I, I am going to. I'm done with the. I can't. I could never do 22 episodes again because. Uh huh. It's just humanly impossible to to do what I did. I look back at my years on The Good Wife and I can't believe I did it with a little baby at home um, uh-huh. because if you really, really do the work, there's just no time to live. And uh-huh. I love living and I want to uh-huh. enjoy life. I, I really enjoy the company of my family and friends and I wanna I want to celebrate that all the time. So... Um, my next foray will be eight to 10 episodes a year rather than, but I've been really having fun doing the morning show. I have to say it's been a vacation. I for know me we
2: can't wait. It's coming back, right?
4: It's coming back. And what's so great. And I always say to Reese, cause I see what she's doing. You know, she's executive producing. She's, you know, the star, one of the stars of the show. And I go, oh, honey, you have to That's take me. a breath. You, <laughs> you can't, you can't have it all in one day. It'll happen. let slow down. Cause I can see, what it does you know to her and she's got three children and it's it's um it's a lot it's a lot and it's a great problem to have right i mean and there's no well, complaints so we i wish you can,
2: continued success happiness sunshine girl it's juliana Margulis' new book it's her book but it's out in paperback now it's a wonderful read because among her skills writing so she may end up going in all kinds of exciting directions. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to talking to you again.
4: Thank you so much, Joan. It was so lovely to talk to you.
2: I enjoyed it. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC. Morahan,
1: The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan.
2: Many of us are into gardening, and if you've checked your local grocery store and look at how expensive produce is, you may be like me, back to vegetable gardens. I have a raised bed vegetable garden. My property is too wet. We tried a normal one, and it just didn't work. Between the deer, the wild turkeys, and the water level, we went back to the patio with a big raised bed. And I have a lot of gardening questions. But what I learned is that the cooperative extension service in your area can help you. It's provided by the state and they work in partnership with local governments. They're run by university employees, volunteers, and it really works. It's good. Every level like me. To farmers, they're terrific. In New York, we have the Cornell University Cooperative Extension. They're throughout the state, and that includes Suffolk, Nassau, Westchester. They're all over the place. In New Jersey, it's the Rutgers Cooperative Extension Service. 27 different counties there have it. Go to, and I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it, N J aes.rutgers.edu slash extension and they have an extension in connecticut so we tried the system we went online to cals.cornell.edu slash and we found one in riverhead and they have a horticultural hotline at 631-727-4126 weekdays nine to noon they answered they were helpful. They didn't put you on hold. They told me how to rescue my container gardens, that you don't need to remove all the soil, a third of it, and replace it with a bag soil mixture that has fertilizer in it. Anyway, it was great, and I loved having that available. If you're going to have a vegetable garden like me, you may need help, because the garden is fun, but it's nice to know from the experts what to do. So go ahead. It's almost welcome summer. And I'm so glad you guys are with me. But I'm looking at the clock and it's 3 o'clock. So I'm going to say have a rest of a beautiful Sunday. And we'll do this again next week. We do it every Sunday at 2 o'clock. So stay tuned. WABC has a great roster all day, every day. I'm Joan Hamburg for The Very One. WABC Radio.